want to just challenge you today. I want you to get something to write with. I want you to get something to take some notes with, whether it be on your phone or on a piece of paper, whatever that is, I want you to get ready to join with us because I think God is going to begin to speak to us as I really want to walk you through something that not only deals with what we're facing as a country, but even to help us as individuals. There's are only two miracles that are recorded in all four gospels that Jesus was part of. Only two miracles in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and that is the resurrection, and it's the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with the two fishes and five loaves. It's the only two miracles that are ever recorded in both of these. I want to read to you today John's viewpoint of this miracle. That remember, I want you to keep this in mind. There's 5,000 people. There's a huge need that, remember we talked about not having a resource. There's a huge need that's there. There is very few resources, a boy's bag lunch, but let's not forget, but Jesus is there. Remember, he is able to meet all of my needs. So when you add Jesus to the mix, there is more than enough that's there. Even though there's a need and even though there is some resources, we'll never get all the resources until Jesus is added to the mix. Let me read to you John's gospel because there's something I want to get to that John mentions that no other gospel mentions. It's John 6. Let me read to you starting in verse 9 of what happens here. It says, there's a lad, one of the disciples speaks, who has five barley loaves and two fish. That's, that's their only resources for the 5,000. But what is that for so many people? That's what you have in that one verse. The question is saying, we've got people that have needs, but we don't have enough of resources. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in that place, so the men sat down, and they numbered about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves, and having given thanks, it says he distributed to those who were seated, likewise, also of the fish, as much as they wanted. Let me just say this for a second. Did you notice what Jesus did in meeting that need? It simply says this in verse 11. It says, having them sit down, he said, he began, listen to these words, had given thanks. Isn't that amazing? That instead of praying for more bread and fish, he simply gave thanks. Think about that for a second. What a lesson for us to start with thanksgiving in our prayers and not necessarily the bread and fish prayers. That Jesus started off with literally going, thank you, Father. Instead of going right to the need, he went right to gratitude. The ending of the story in John 6 is what caught my attention. In fact, in John's gospel, something is witnessed by John that's not told in any of the other gospels. It's the response of the masses after he feeds them. Let me read it to you. It's starting in verse 13. Listen to these words. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were, which were left over by those who, that, that had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly a prophet who has come into this world. Now get ready, because what happens next is literally not told anywhere else And it has everything to do with what we're facing as a church, as a country, as a city, with what you're facing. And I want to walk you through some really important things from the Bible, from what John sees happens. So Jesus, the Bible says, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew to the mountain by himself alone. Listen to those words again. Jesus perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew, left the multitudes, left the mobs and the masses, and went to the mountain to pray there by the mountain, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. What was happening was that the recipients of the miracle were trying to make Jesus king prematurely. They were trying to get Jesus to royalty before his time, and they were trying to do it the wrong way. The, tr- the crowds were, in a sense, trying to get Jesus to skip steps, listen to this, to the throne, is what they were doing. They were so moved that Jesus' exaltation as king of kings, according to them, would not come through the cross and the resurrection, but it would come through a miracle of fishes and loaves. Now listen to me close. If the emotions of men would have had their way, Jesus would have been their king, but humanity would have lost 
our Redeemer. Let me say that again. If the emotions of men at this moment would have had their way, Jesus would have been their king, but we would have lost our Redeemer because they were trying to bring Jesus to a place that they were basically saying, this is the time to do it. This is the moment. And in fact, a few verses later, going into the next chapter, Jesus says this to them in John 7, 6. Jesus tells them, my time is not yet here. What he was saying was, I'm on a time frame there is steps that need, to be, that need to be dealt with. Everything from Gethsemane to the cross to the resurrection, it's not fishes and loaves. But then he says this to them. He says, but for you, any time will do. He says, you're moved by the emotion of the moment, and so you don't have a time frame that goes with this. He was telling them they have no sense of timing and process and, is, and telling them that they're skipping steps in this. Now, I need you to listen really closely, Times Square Church. All those that call this their home, both in this city, around the tri-state area, around the country and around the world, we know that we have been connected even through our prayer meeting, but I want you to listen closely. Our nation is in turmoil and we have been trying to dig our way out of a pandemic with COVID-19 and just as we were starting to open up our cities, our cities became centers of protest and civil unrest because of the unconscionable death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where a police officer abuses his authority and takes a human life. It was, it was shameful. It was inhumane. It was despicable. And, and it was sinful. I want you to understand that. In fact, it was a grotesque misuse of power that cost a man his life and should be protested. And because of the injustice, cities around America and this country are experienced this are not just experiencing protests, but it's gone a step further into violence and fires and looting. My city, New York City, has gotten hit very hard in this. Now, here's where I want you to listen to me really closely. Until this Tuesday night at our prayer meeting, people were upset with Times Square Church for not saying something, listen to me close, immediately. People have misinterpreted our silence for indifference and nothing could be further from the truth. I would encourage you to watch Tuesday's worldwide prayer meeting and the powerful word that was given from Times Square Church's overseer, Pastor Carter Conlon. In fact, they are poignant and clear in our stance as a church. If you go right now to the website and you'll see right there on the homepage, two opportunities to click it or, to, or even to watch the video of it, of Pastor Carter speaking that, to, to this message, our cities are on fire. I would encourage every one of you to go to that. It was so important what Pastor Carter said on that prayer meeting and how he challenged us and how he made clear, even for us as a body, what our response and what our stance is on this. See, listen to me close. When the masses are trying to get Jesus to act and to skip steps and to take a cheap and quick path to royalty, Jesus, the Bible says in John 6, 15, he withdraws to go to prayer because he would not let the crowds determine his next step. See, after the tragedy, and this is what people, I want you to understand. After the tragedy, we went to prayer instead of going online. After the tragedy, we, we went to prayer and we didn't want masses, the masses of people to move us to what we were gonna do next because we didn't wanna skip steps. We wanted to know God. We know what everyone is saying from the church world to our city, but what are you wanting us to do? See, we decided, listen to this. We decided to see what God wants us to say, when God wants us to say it, and how God wants us to say it. That's what we felt, to withdraw for those three or four days. This is very important, and I want you to listen to this, because this is even larger for you. See, when you're faced with circumstances you have never navigated before, and you've never encountered, don't let, don't let masses or popular opi opinion force you into acting, listen to me, fast. In fact, I want you to jot this passage down. Proverbs 19.2 says, He who hurries his footsteps errs, said by the wisest man that ever walked the planet next to Jesus. 
See, people will try to sometimes to push you before you can hear or push you to act before you can hear what God says to do. Because this is the kind of generation we're facing. One of the friends of this ministry and a man that, is, that has been such a blessing to this place who's gone just to be with the Lord about last month, Ravi Zacharias, he says this. He says this about our culture and our generation. He says, what do you do with the generation that feels with their eyes and thinks with their emotions? Think of those words for a second because that's what we're faced with. What do you do with the generation that feels with their eyes and thinks with their emotions? And this is where I want to help guide you and navigate not only for where we're at with what we're facing as a nation, but even for things in your own life. Because every one of us are going to have to navigate waters that we've never been before and places that we've never gone before. In fact, there is a certain harbor. I want you to get this because I want to, I want to bring, make this clear for us today. There is a certain harbor in Italy that, can, that is reached only by sailing these narrow, dangerous channels to get there. Over the years, many ships have wrecked and, and, and hit rocks because it's so hazardous that on, on each side there's from rocks and cliffs to shoals that, that literally make it very dangerous for, for men that need to bring business to a harbor and to a port, but they have to navigate it very carefully. And in fact, what they did was this. They set up three light poles and they said that the three lights have to be mounted and they have to line up as one light. That as you are steering the ship and navigating through very reckless and dangerous waters, you have to have those lights start to line up. That if you see two lights, you're, you're about to get in some dangerous places. You literally could run aground or destroy your ship. That the three have to become one. The three have to line up if you want to navigate through this. That's where we are today. And I, I want to do my best today for giving, to line up three lights to navigate through rough waters, both nationally as a church and even as an individual. I, I want to give you those three lights that will help us as we are walking through waters that are very, very dangerous on both sides. And we want to make sure that we get our boat to the harbor and we know exactly what God wants us to do, when he wants us to do it, and how he wants us to do it. And I think that God is going to help us with this. So let me walk you through a couple of things. I want to give you three lights today. We'll sum them up, but, I, but, I, but then I'm going to give you a practical step because this is really important for us as a church and even as the body of Christ. So I want you to get ready to write these down. Number one, we want to be guided by the voice of God, not by the voice of the masses. This is important. We, we often miss God's voice because sometimes we're not even paying attention to it. And that's why this is so important for us. See, if... Tozer, A.W. Tozer said it like this. If we do all the talking in prayer, then how will we hear the voice of God if we're doing all the talking? And that's why prayer, keep this in mind, prayer is not a monologue, but it's a dialogue. And God's voice is the most essential part of that dialogue. It's not a monologue, it's a dialogue. But God's voice is the most essential part of that. And that's why this, this really challenges us. In fact, I heard one pastor say it like this. Listen to me close, because this, this really puts it all in perspective. The voice you believe will determine the future you experience. Let me say that again. The voice you believe, the voice you lean on during these times will determine the future that we begin to experience. And there will be people that will try to push you and to get you to act fast. In fact, I would hear all the time, Pastor Tim, say something, post, do this. And I've heard these words. People have said, people have said, why hasn't Times Square Church said anything? I, let me tell you what I've learned over 37 years of experience. When people say people have said, basically people mean one person. It's not masses. It's one person and trying to get us to move. L listen to me close. I need to hear one person and one person we are responsible to, and that is God and God alone. That's who we have to hear in this. That's why Jesus withdraws. He's got all the voices speaking, but he has to hear from God and God alone. That when you are faced with situations that are both new and could have huge consequences, if we don't navigate to, the, to those three lights in the proper way, that if you don't take the right next step, I'm telling you, Wait on God instead of just moving. 
Look for that light and say, what are you saying to me, God? What is your voice saying? That we will not be moved by masses. We'll be moved by the voice of God. But number two, keep this in mind. I think this is important. The voice of God is found in the word of God. The, 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 the most solid place for us is the body of Christ. The voice of God is found in the word of God. You find God's guidance in his word. I found God's voice in, the, in his word as we were navigating those waters of what our nation was facing with the protests of what our nation was facing, um, even in our city. Let, let me tell you what that verse was that, that helped me to walk through this. This is what Proverbs 13, 20 says. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Look at that first part. He who walks with wise men will be, will be wise. When the Bible says he who walks with wise men will be wise, I believe it's saying to us, it means process up. Take, take, get with wise men that literally, or let me say it like this, processing up means getting wisdom from people that have more years and more journey than you with God. And that's exactly what I began to do. I, when we were faced with this, one of the first things I did was take that. The, the voice of God is found in the word of God. So the first thing I did was process up. I went even to Times Square Church's overseer, Pastor Carter, and I just said, what do you think our next step is? What, I need your guidance. And his words to me, he says, Tim, let me speak to it on Tuesday in the context of prayer. I will be very clear with what's happening on our stance. This, this is so important. And to hear what Pastor Carter said was so powerful. And, I, and, I, and I'll tell you, it was not only so powerful, but it was the right decision to make, to let him begin to speak to it in the context of prayer. And this is what's so important because the voice of God is found in the word of God and helped me to process up. But let me give you a third one I think is so important. Number three, prayer protects you from moving emotionally and it equips you with wisdom. That's why the context of prayer was so important. What Pastor Carter was saying, prayer protects us from moving emotionally and equips us with wisdom. But here's the problem I think people get impatient with. Listen to me. Wisdom moves too slow for many people. Wisdom doesn't go fast enough that, that, that as the masses are trying to get action, a post, something, wisdom says, listen to me. Let me, let, let me speak to you. Let me give you the next direction of what you're supposed to do. Let me tell you a story and why this is so important. What even Pastor Carter shared with us as a church at that Tuesday night prayer meeting. The children of Israel were being bullied by Assyria in Isaiah 37 and 38. The story, in fact, takes two chapters to tell, but it's so important for what we're going through. See, the king of Assyria sent messengers in chapter 37 to speak to the children of Israel and literally to not only bully, but to, but to um, come against them, to get them to act with their, with their, um, their, their, their challenges and also their threats. And, and here's what he says. In fact, he, he, they challenged them and threatened them with four things. They said, um, you can't rely on anybody. In fact, they go, these four things. They said, you can't rely on your allies. They're not going to help you. Egypt's not going to help you. You can't even rely on Hezekiah. He's taken away all your high places and your idols that you're supposed to worship. And he has you worshiping a God in heaven. You can't even rely upon your God because, because all of his temples have been taken down, which was the idolatry. And then he says this, you can't even rely upon your army. And then even goes even one step further. He says, in fact, we'll give you 2,000 horses. See if you can put enough riders on them to fight against us. He says, I don't even think you can do that. And in fact, this is where God, this is so important. When they heard all this rhetoric, what was the people's response to what they heard? You ready for this? What was their response? Here it comes. There was no response. They never said a word. They were, they were taunting them to respond, but they never responded to any of the four things. And here's what happens. This is what it says. That's what it says in verse 21 of Isaiah 36. It says, but the people remained silent and said nothing in reply because the king commanded, do not answer him. Why didn't they answer him? You ready for this? Why didn't they respond? Here's why. Because it was time to pray. Because it was time to pray. When the masses are trying to move Jesus, he withdrew. When the, when the Syria is trying to get Israel to respond to their threats, they were silent. 
And here's what's amazing. Look at verse 30, 30, chapter 37, verse 15. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord after all the threats, after everything that took place. And people are wondering, are you going to respond? Are you going to respond? Are you going to respond? And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. And here's what's amazing. This is when Hezekiah prays, this is the, my favorite verse of this, whole, of this whole story. Listen to Isaiah 37, 22. Here's what it says. Isaiah the prophet comes to Hezekiah and says these words. Because you have prayed, this is the word of the Lord that will be spoken to you. Think about that. Because you have prayed, this is the word of the Lord that he has spoken. Because you paused, because you lined up the lights, because you didn't let, you didn't let the bullying, you didn't let anything move you, I'm going to line up the lights of what your next step is. In fact, you moved in prayer, is what he was saying. You moved in prayer, and now you got direction. Your first movement in uncharted waters is to move into prayer. It's time to pray. You could have gotten your army together. You could have gotten your allies. You could have called a board meeting, but you prayed and God gave you the next step. Let God do it for you in not only this season. Listen to me, leaders. Listen to me, pastors. Our next step is not, is not on a social media platform. Our next step is to say, God, what do you want us to do? And God showed up and defeated the Assyrians. Listen to this. This is amazing. They prayed, God spoke, and then look at how God does it. No one could have come up with this. Verse 36 of chapter 37. Then the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when, this is amazing, when the men of Israel arose the next morning, behold, all of them were dead. God goes, while you sleep, I got you covered. I'll do this for you. If they didn't pray, there would have been no angel. It would have been men working in their own strength and leading to a catastrophe, a national catastrophe. If there's ever a time for a country to pray, it's now. That's why when you pray, you get God's direction. And I want to say this to you. I want you to listen to me. We said this, I said this on Tuesday, and I want to say it again. Pastor Carter wrote a book called It's Time to Pray. Boy, if there is ever a book that I want to encourage you to get, it's this book. It is a challenge for us on what we're facing, even as a nation. I, don't, I even think there is almost something prophetic or providential of what God did, that the picture on the front is Pastor Carter praying in Selma with a, with a black pastor right here, on the front of the cover. No one knew what we were going to begin to face. And I, I'm telling you, you can go to Amazon, you can go to, I'm just telling you, leaders, it, it, and listen, if, if you're watching and you go to another church, buy this for your pastor. Do something that says, let's get back to prayer, that this is where God is challenging us. You get things from prayer you never would have gotten with strategy, ingenuity, models, and a board meeting. Listen to me close. Jesus went to prayer. Hezekiah went to prayer. Listen, and we will go to prayer. That's what we'll do. See, uncertain times challenges us and challenges should drive us to our knees first. Why? Nobody said this better than Dr. Charles Stanley from Atlanta when he said this. He says, the shortest distance between a problem and a solution is the distance between your knees and the floor. That means prayer. The shortest distance between a problem and a solution is the distance between your knees and the floor. It's, that's, that's where the lights start to line up, that I need God to line up these words. I, I, and and write, these, write these down. Here are the three lights. The three lights are this. It's the voice of God. It's the word of God. And it's the wisdom of God. Write those down because that's what needs to line up, not only for what we're facing, but what we will continue to face. God, line up the lights before I start typing. And before I start speaking, I need your voice. I need your word. And I need your wisdom, the voice of God, the word of God, and the wisdom of God. I mentioned Ravi Zacharias, who's gone just to be with the Lord last month. I remember Ravi some years ago talking about one of his favorite preachers from decades ago named F.W. Borham, um, pastor in New Zealand. And, and, um, I went to start reading some of his sermons and to see uh, why Ravi Zacharias looked at him 
as such an important voice. F.W. Borham writes in this book, this pastor, seems like he was processing up. Um, I want to read to you a story that says that Borham, while he was pastoring, once asked his mentor, how can I feel secure against taking a false step when I don't know what to do? When I'm not sure what the next step is for me. He was talking about literally where we're at today. And, and listen to me, young pastor. This is important for us to hear. He said, I shall never forget his reply. In fact, I think his reply is so important. I want to put it on the screen for you. This is what F.W. Born said. I'm going to read right from his book. He sprang from his chair, his mentor, came earnestly towards me and said this. He said, I am certain of it. If you will but give God time, he will speak and guide you. Remember that as long as you live. Give God time. Give God time. Don't, don't, don't be moved. I, I, I challenge you that are listening to every pastor, every leader, give God time. That's what Jesus did. That's what Hezekiah did. Jesus does it and realizes I won't let men make me skip steps. I know the path to royalty here. It is through the cross and through resurrection. Hezekiah says, I won't let, I won't let threats begin to move me. I'll pray. And when I prayed, God shows up with one angel and takes out 185,000. And here, Borum reminds us, give God time. But this is not just our response to Minneapolis. It's our response to the future. What is God speaking to us? Now, let me just bring it home. Let me be really clear with you and challenge you today. What is it that God is speaking to us as a church? What is God speaking to us as Times Square Church? I can't speak for any other churches, but I'm, once again, I feel like I'm on good ground with the word of God. What is God speaking to his people? You know, there is a challenge in, in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 10, verse 24, when the writer says, let's think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and to good works, or older versions say to spur one another. Let, let's think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Our cities of the nation, across our nation, are mourning. How do we change groaning of our cities to rejoicing? How do we stop the looting and the fires how do we fight injustice as a church today? I, I believe as we have waited on God, as we've given God time, given God time, we started to realize, listen to me, those who are watching today, that Christianity has better resources for what we're facing than any other worldview that you can propose, that you can propose. God's way, Christianity's way, lining up the three lights is really what our answer is and what our next steps is. I, I, let me walk you through what I think God is speaking to us as a church, not only here, but really even across the nation. All of this started to, not, not that it was never there before, but all of this started to rise up in our country in this generation in 2014 with Ferguson. And now in 2014, we're still here with Minneapolis. Listen to me, six years later, six years later, we're still here. What, what, what's going to stop us? What's going to stop us that here we are in 2020 with Minneapolis? What's going to stop us that in six years from now, we're not going to say, remember Minneapolis. We're still back at the same place. Some are saying today, look at Ferguson. We're still in the same place today. When you go from Ferguson to Dallas, to Baton Rouge, to Brooklyn, to, to all, all over the country. And here we are six years later, six years, what's going to happen? I believe God wants the city to rejoice, not looting, not rioting, and not setting things on fire. God wants our country changed, but how? Do we post Facebook? I don't think so. I think that's, I know that a lot of folks are doing that. Is it dialogues and conversations? I think they're helpful, but we need more than just rhetoric. I believe God's word guides us on this. And let me tell you what I think God says to our cities today to move them from groaning to rejoicing. Listen, once again, we paused, gave God time. What is God saying to us as the church? His word has to guide us. We look for his voice, God's voice, God's word, God's wisdom. Let's line up the lights for us as a church today, for the church today. And, and, and I want to make this as practical and I want to make this as poignant as I can. Listen to what the word of God says. Here it is. 
when the godly, Proverbs 29.2, when the godly are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked are in power, they groan. Listen to those words. Our cities are groaning because wicked get in power. Our job as a church, now stay with me because I want to build on this just for a second. Our job is to pray and to do something for the godly to be in authority. That's how the people rejoice. See, see, it's not, it's not Democrats and Republicans in authority. It's the godly in authority. That's what it's talking about. It's, it's, it's saying, forget your party, your party affiliation. Get the godly in authority. That's, listen, that's his word. We want people rejoicing, not looting and processing. But how? The godly in authority. In fact, the Bible says this. Ready? ready? Cities around the country and around the world. Proverbs 11.10. The whole city celebrates when the godly succeed. They shout for joy when the wicked die. Upright citizens are good for a city. Look at this. And make it prosper. But the talk of the wicked tears it apart. Wow. That's the word of God. Listen, leaders. Have any pause just to go, what is God saying to our cities? I know what the masses are saying. What is God telling us? There it is. Proverbs 29. Proverbs chapter 11. Let me speak to you what I think God is speaking to us, even as a church, and what our response is. Because according to Proverbs 29, and according to Proverbs chapter 11, I think God is telling us what our next steps are. Because he says, you need the godly in authority for that city to rejoice. You need the godly in authority. Let me say it to you like this, because I think the Bible guides us and history confirms the truth of God's word. Let me say that again. God guides through his word. The word guides, history confirms. God guides and history confirms. I don't believe you can change a systemic problem unless you're inside the system. That's why he needs the godly in authority. I don't believe you can change a systemic issue of racism and injustice in our country unless we're in the system. I mean, think of it this way. Let let me speak to young people for just a second. Let me speak to you students. Let me speak from Gen Z to millennial. Just listen for a second. I want to challenge you. Think think for a moment, actor Chadwick Boseman. We we know him as Black Panther in in, in the Marvel comics, the uh, and all that happened with this this box office, um, this box this box office extravaganza that w- went worldwide. But but you know what you what we miss that that's that's Wakanda and all that that's off to the side. There's two other roles that he that he portrayed that literally shows us what happens when you get the right people in authority. And it's when he begins to play Thurgood Marshall and plays Jackie Robinson in 42. See, what we're told is that that you you change the system on the inside when, when the right people are in authority. Let me say it to you like this. You need a Luther in Rome defying Rome. You need a William Wilberforce in England's parliament defying slavery. You need a Jackie Robinson in Major League Baseball defying segregation, not outside burning stadiums down, but right in the system. We need godly young people with Christian values in Congress, in baseball, in D.C. as top cops. We need the godly in authority. And the Bible says, which is true, then the city begins to rejoice. I'm not moved by the masses. I'm not moved by social media. I'm moved by the word of God and what the word of God has to say to me. I mean, think about this for a second. I remember my friend challenging me just last week. He says, what if you knew, Pastor Tim, if you had three months, I'm sorry, 36 months, three years before we face the next injustice, how would you change the planet? How would you change the world? How would you do it? And we don't even have to figure it out. How would you start a worldwide movement? How would you get the godly in authority? How would you begin to to, to influence the planet, your society, your culture? And we don't even have to figure it out. We already know how it's done in 36 months. 
Jesus did it for us. He said in Matthew 28 to go into all the world and make disciples. That the last three of his years of his life, 30 years he lived, three years was ministry. He poured into 12 men to change the planet and to start something that couldn't be started with pickets and protests, but would be started with him investing. I believe we need to set a fire in young people's hearts, not fires to buildings. We need to set a fire to young people's hearts and not fires to buildings. What's, what's, what's our next step? Listen to me close. What, what can you do? Oh my goodness. It's everything from investing in the next generation coming up. Start with, for example, Summit, our Bible school, which I believe begins to train young, young people to, to walk in godliness and to celebrate because their motto is this, living for the benefit of others. That's Proverbs 29.2, get the godly in authority. Summit, even our school, that I want to challenge you, and, and, and I know there's other places that challenge young people to say, your gift doesn't have to be behind a pulpit and preaching. Your gift could be in the system to change that, to make the cities rejoice by getting the godly in authority. In fact, can I just say this to you today? Even if you're thinking, man, that's hitting my heart, I want you to text the word SUMMIT, S-U-M-M-I-T, to 484848. Let, let us send you some information. Maybe it's for your son or daughter. Maybe it's a grandson or a granddaughter saying, hey, listen, I want to invest in you as the next generation. That, that, that if we have six years or three years, like Jesus talks about, then I think we have a responsibility to invest. Summit is doing that. And if you just te text it summit to 484848, 48, 48, something I think can happen. You are, you are listening. I'm just, I want to challenge you. I know the churches, most churches are not even open today, but you know what this should be inspire us to do? We literally should have masses going, let me be part of children's ministry. Let me be part of student ministry. Let me be part of young adult ministry because I want to invest in the next generation to see the godly in power. It's, it's easy. It's, it's, it doesn't take a lot for rhetoric online or on a social media platform. Do you know what costs time? And you know what no one's going to write about and put articles about is when you take time to raise up the godly and see them go into authority to take those children, to take those junior high and high school, to take those college students and say, we believe that God wants to put you in a thought. Listen, listen for a second. Have you ever, have you ever been in a blackout? I, I've been in the, in the places that I've lived in. In Detroit, we experienced the great brownout of 2003. Here in New York, the blackout during Hurricane Sandy. Um, I've been in ice storms where lines have frozen up. Um, and you know what you do during that. The first thing that happens, if you, weren't, if you weren't expecting it, the first thing you do is when the lights go out, you go to a drawer that, you've, that you open up occasionally and you find the flashlight that's been sitting in there for years. And when you turn it on because all the lights are out, the electricity's off and you turn it on and you realize nothing's coming on. You feel how heavy it is because the batteries are in it and then you start banging it, nothing. And then all of a sudden, when you open up the, the, the end of it and realize that those batteries, those, those elements of power have been sitting there for years unused. And all of a sudden you see all of the corrosion. See, when something has power in it and it doesn't get used, listen to me, church, it corrodes. When something has power in it, like the people of God, and it's not being used to raise up the godly in our students, in our children, in our college students. It starts to corrode. We as a church, if we're not pouring into raising up a generation, whether it's through summit, student ministry, all those things, it corrodes. And that's why I believe too many Christians, listen to me close, too many Christians are like batteries that never get used. These believers stay fully charged all the time in their seat and want us to sing all the different songs and do all these different things, but are never being used themselves. In fact, the sure way to allow a battery to deteriorate is to never use it at all. The, 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 and, and we find ourselves as believers never dispensing of the power that's stored up inside of us. I want to ask you a question. You want a blessing from God? In order to get a blessing from God, here it is. You need to be a blessing to others. 
in order to get a blessing from God, you need to be a blessing to others. Pastor Tim, what do, you, what do you mean? Boy, this verse says something to us about not only investment, but the times that we're living in. Listen to these words. The apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 9, don't repay evil for evil. Listen, listen. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. And he will grant you his blessing. God says, you want a blessing? Then be a blessing. Invest. Get the godly in authority. My goodness, to, to have to beg people to go to a nursery, children's ministry, to, to student ministry, to young adult ministry. This should be the end of that. We should be going like, we want to be a blessing. We want to raise up Proverbs 29.2, the godly in authority. How can we bless this generation? By investing in this generation. That's how we begin to do it. Our first job is to help them be godly. If, if make disciples was Jesus' last words, they should be our first priority. That's what God is challenging us to do. This is the hard part. This is the hard part. Not sermons on it. Not simply using a platform of, of social media. It's literally taking the time behind the scenes and saying, we have to invest. Listen to me close. Listen how important this is. Let me read it to you again. Proverbs 29.2. When the godly are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked are in power, they groan. Our job is to raise up godly children. Godly teenagers, young people. What do you mean, Pastor Tim, godly? Godly means God-loving, God-honoring, and God-focused. Godly means God-loving, God-honoring, and God-focused. It's, it's a new generation, this is important, that's not just gifted, but they're godly and gifted. The danger is, is to put the gifted in authority without the character, which is the godliness. That's, that's our part. That's what we're supposed to do as a church. That we're raising up a generation that's not worried about how many followers or how many views you have. But they're consumed with changing their world that they are placed in. And until we raise up a godly generation, the godly, our cities will continue to grow. And we will look back and never see anything change. The Bible says you want the city to rejoice? And put the godly in authority. Put the godly in authority. See... Let me just close with this as we, we finish. And we're, we're, I want to say these final things and then we're going to sing and then we're going to begin to take communion together. Keep this in mind that are watching. Getting all you want or what you're shouting for will never satisfy you if you keep God out of the mix. If you get your way and complete your goal apart from God and God's ways, you will never be satisfied. Let me, let, me, let me tell you what I mean. One of the most prolific Christian books ever written was C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. And he has a chapter in there that is so important for this time right now called Hope. It's a chapter on hope. And this is what he says. He says, if, you're, if you are young... Um, and you've not experienced this, but when you get old, you will realize that all the things you thought would make you happy just simply won't do it. He says, you get the job you wanted. You get the marriage you wanted. You get the house, the travel, children you've been praying for. He says, it's easy for happiness to come immediately and then dissipate. And, and, and Lewis says, I'm not talking about bad marriages and bad jobs and bad children. I'm talking about the best possible ones and Lewis says this, nothing quite satisfies and you still feel an emptiness inside of you. And once you decide this doesn't make me happy, listen now, he says, you only have three possibilities. Once you realize that what I finally got, I, I, I got elected, I got in office, I got the money, I got the deal. He says, once you get it, he says, you may be happy for a moment. He says, but it'll dissipate. Then you realize I only have three options at this point. This is what he says. He says, first, he says, you could say, I need a better wife. I need a better job. I need a better deal. I need a better house. He says, that will only make you driven. And literally, we, we would call this even a midlife crisis that you come, come to a point, you're going like, I got to get a better car, better this, better that. He says, and you can be driven, but you're going to end up at the same place. He said, the second part is this, that you just come to the point and says, there is no happiness. 
that you just stop looking for it. You just have to kind of stiffen up and just go, this is the best that's ever going to be. And you stop, and you stop looking for even hope. You stop, stop even having hope. And then all of a sudden, he says, you, 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 it makes you less of a nuisance to people, but it will dehumanize you because it kills the part of your heart that pursues love and pursues happiness and pursues fulfillment. And then C.S. Lewis said this. He says, there's one other way. There's one other possibility. And he says this. Listen to these words. He says the third possibility. He starts off like this. He says, you realize little ducklings want to swim, so there's such a thing as water. And little babies want to suck, and so there exists milk for them. He says, desires don't exist unless satisfaction for those desires exists. And then here's what C.S. Lewis says. Listen to me close. We're going to put it on. He says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. I was made for another world. If I find that when I finally get what I've, what I've wanted and, 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 and cried out for it, and then I find out it doesn't fill my heart, I start to realize that what I need is not found in this world. But I was made for another world. That other world is heaven. That is, starts with a relationship with God because you have to ask yourself the question, how do I get there, Pastor Tim? If I was made for another world, how do I get to heaven? Some, some people will say, well, I do it through baptism and, or I do it through communion or, uh, well, I'm going to have communion, so that's going to make God like me. Um, going to church, being good, all, things, all these things are honorable, but that's not the directions God gives to his home. Listen close. If anyone knows how to get to his own home, his own house, his own dwelling, it's Jesus. He came from heaven to earth to show the way. So if he comes from heaven and earth, he surely knows how to get back, and he does. And Jesus uses this word called being born again and says this in John 3, 3, no man can see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. That's what Jesus says. No man can see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. In fact, Jesus says in John 3, 5, you must be born again. And we can't make optional or put in our ideas to what Jesus says is a must. So here's, here's the question. If I was made for another world and I can't seem to get satisfaction here, even when I attain what I fought for and desired and, and sacrificed for, and Pastor Tim, if I was made for another world, how do I get there? How, better question, how can I be born again? Honestly, the most important question you can ever ask yourself, how can I be born again? Let me, let me just be really clear with you today. Just before we worship and just before we pray. I believe, I, I believe if we can make it as simple as we can, it's as simple as A, B, C, A. It's, and each one of those letters correspond to the word A, admitting that I'm a sinner. It, it's me getting honest with God that all of us, starting with me, have been infected with a condition, according to what the Bible says, called sin. That, that deep inside of me, there is a brokenness. There is a condition that I have sinned against God that I can't fix it with a, with a promise. I can't fix it with a priest, a pastor. Even a program can't fix it. It's in every single one of us. It's I'm broken and the diagnosis is sin. I, I'm, I, I, I'm not a mistaker, as one pastor said, in need of correction. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I don't need a second chance. I need a second birth. That's the A word. B is believe. Believe that God sent his son to fix our sinful condition. Well, if, if we could fix ourselves, why would God even have to send his own son? If, if through, through the suffering he went through and, and all that he went through, if he just said, I'm going to have Jesus go through the cross, suffer all this, but, but you're going to have to just t- toughen up and get better. Impossible. If I could get to heaven by being good, then Jesus would never have had to die on the cross. Jesus' death on the cross, he became my sin bearer. Literally, he died the death I should have died because, because he, could only, he could live a life that I couldn't live so I can receive a, war, a reward of forgiveness in heaven, being born again, being forgiven, being with God forever that I didn't even deserve. And finally, it's confess, confessing him as Lord. Pastor Tim, what does that mean? When you confess him as Lord, 
You're not saying, or Jesus is not telling us, I just need you to sit in church for an hour, an hour and a half on Sunday. That's religion. Religion says, give me an hour on Sundays. Jesus didn't die for a religion. Jesus died for a relationship. His goal was not to get you to church. His goal was to get you to heaven. His goal was to do something deep inside from the inside out. That's why Christianity is not coming to a place. As awesome as this place is here, it's not coming to a place. It's coming to a person. And that's why today when you confess him as Lord, you're saying you're in charge of my life. Not on Sundays for an hour. You're in charge every day. You, you have veto rights. I trust you. I am telling you today, he can meet every need. When the, when the need that you have and the resources are limited, there is a God that can come and fill us, change us from the inside out. And Jesus was saying, just as you had a first birth, you need a second birth. And that can happen right now. I want to ask you right now, those who are watching, if you're here today and just go, Pastor Tim, I want that. I want my life changed. I want to begin to start because I have found out that when I've gotten what I wanted, it wasn't enough to fill me. And today, today, I want you to take that step and say, I want to be born again. I am made for another world. There's something inside of me that's crying out, that's saying everything here, even if I get what I want, doesn't fulfill me. Only God can do that. I want you to start a journey with God today. It starts by being born again. It starts by saying, God, come and change me today. I want to pray a prayer with you. It's not simply a prayer that changes you, but it's you just saying, God, I mean this. I want this to come from my heart. These aren't magic words. It's just words to help you through all those things we just discussed. If you're here, if you're listening right now, wherever you're at and say, Pastor Tim, I want to pray that prayer with you. I want to start this journey. I want to be born again. Listen to me because some of you are going like, well, I do, but I'm not perfect. Exactly. None of us are. Perfect people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. Today that can happen for you. Pastor Tim, I want to pray that prayer. Here's what I want you to do. If you're able to, you can close your eyes. If you're able to, you can, I don't care if you whisper it, shout it, speak it out, but I want you to pray this prayer with me. Come on, just all over. Close your eyes and pray this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say this with me. God is my father. Jesus is my savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.